with the joy. Are you joyful this Christmas? A lot of things happen, might have happened this past year that have stolen, perhaps tried to take away a lot of our joy. And I ask the question because this is regarded as the festive season, the happy, merry, jolly season of the year, a time when joy fills the air or it's supposed to fill the air. This morning we will look at the Christmas story from four different perspectives and draw the implications for our lives from them. First of all, we we look at God, the joy of generous giving. At this time of year, there is certainly a lot of giving that goes on. Sure, there is a lot of commercialisation behind the scene and everybody trying to cash in on the, the generous spirit and we might struggle, uh, especially me, I, I, I really struggle to, to choose what to give. But uh, so I've I got to hand it to, to those people who know exactly what they're going to give, how much they're going to spend and things like that. For me, I just go and buy a, uh, a gift card and, uh, and uh, put a dollar amount and then they, you know, knock yourself out type of thing. But God knew exactly what to give. At the perfect time, God sent his son. He knew what to give. He knew how to give it. And this gift had been set up. It wasn't just a spur of the moment thing, scratching his head. It was actually so planned, everything, meticulous in every way. And that inspiration of giving, it, it, it's, that is what started. And, and the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to a church, to, to, the, to the Corinthians, he actually said this. He said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And I think this is a great Christmas verse. Jesus Christ, through whom the universe was made and who upholds everything by his power, who has existed as the glorious, perfect and joyful second person of the the Trinity from eternity, yet from his infinite height he came down to this unmanageable level of condescension, so low, to be born in a cattle stall and to die on a criminal's cross in order that we might be made rich. When you say rich, we usually refer to money. That's not what he's saying here. Rich in joy, rich in generosity, rich in every way, rich in love. And this grace of God turns selfish people into joyful givers. And then in in the early part of, of chapter 8 he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that out of the most severe trial, 
their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Usually we say, how much can we afford to give? These Macedonian Christians were going through a famine, severe trial, and they didn't ask the questions, how much can we afford? They gave beyond what they could afford. That, to me, is giving. They gave what they didn't have. The most common basis for selfishness is the notion that giving less away and hoarding it and keeping it for ourselves will somehow provide more happiness and joy and and more security. We certainly see a lot of that uh, these days, don't we? Where is your security? Is it in your super fund? Is it in your investments? Is it in... the things that you want to have, then you say, I can afford that now, I'm going to get it, I'm going to enjoy it, it's for me. But you see, if life teaches, in my 55 years of life, one of the things that tells me is that out of the accumulation, there's a certain level of insecurity I wish I could go back to the time when I was a kid when I could find extreme joy in playing marbles. Yeah. When life was simple. When uh, I had one pair of shorts and uh, I I loved it. It was... We could play in the streets. There's, There's a simplicity in life where no complications... And in our trip in Africa with my daughter this year, this is one of the things that when we stopped in villages where they didn't have very much, some of the kids would come around as our truck stopped and we prepare our food. These kids were just waiting around for whatever was left over so that they could feed themselves. And they don't have very much. We gave them a soccer ball. One soccer ball. And they, they thought it was Christmas. Literally. Something so simple and yet you could see the smile in their faces, the joy, so thankful for the very, for us it was nothing but for them it was just so much. Once upon a time there was a, there was a, there was a pig and a cow living together on a farm. The cow was very popular while the pig was not. And this puzzled the pig. And the pig said, people speak warmly of your gentle nature and your, your sorrowful eyes. They think you're generous because each day you give them milk and cream. But what about me? I'm going to give them everything I have. I'll give bacon and ham. I'll provide bristles for brushes They'll even pickle my feet. Yet no one likes me. Why is that? And the cow replied, Perhaps it is because I give while I'm still living. 
a lot of people in their wills put uh, money aside that they're going to give to this cause or to that cause of how they want their estate distributed. They're going to be the most generous givers when they die. What about being generous givers while you can still be alive and breathing and see the joy in people when you give them? There's a reason why Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. You're able to give continually. I hope it doesn't take death for us to become joyful givers. You won't be here to enjoy it. Not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year. God, the generous giver. What about the shepherds, the joy of the discovery from Luke chapter 2? And this is the passage that we read. It is, you see, it's very rare for, for major discoveries to be made merely by chance or accident. Let me explain. It is actually in, in, in the process of looking for something specific, a solution to a problem that most discoveries are made. So when you hear in the news that scientists have discovered a new drug to treat a certain cancer, it is because they have been looking for it, they have been doing tests, they have been doing running experiments after experiment and then, bang, they come upon something that actually works. It is called a discovery. I think many people today are looking for something but they don't know what they are looking for and the result is aimless lives. They try this and try that and try that and somehow when they try everything, they, they sort of, well, I've tried everything, nothing gives me joy. It's because you don't actually know what you're looking for. The shepherds of the Christmas story are going about their lives when suddenly heaven breaks open into their, it breaks into their common everyday experience and the angels announce, I bring you good news of great joy that will be not just for you guys, but for all the people. And you guys will be in the story, in the gospel story right there. You don't know how privileged you are because this story is going to be told for thousands of years on and you're part of it and you're going to have to go and tell others about it. Now most of us will be just content to listen, just sit there and listen and contemplate the angelic choir. But that wasn't it. They were given instructions to go and find the Christ child. And just as about, they were about to ask for the address, the angels give them directions. But more specifically, it was a sign. In order to make a discovery, to find something, you need clues, you need signs. Jewish people were always looking out for signs. And for 400 years it had been pretty quiet but then, bang, heaven peeled and they could see it. The sign was a baby lying 
in a manger. Because babies don't normally lie in a manger. Well, this is odd. That's exactly what it was. And they knew it. Much has been made in Christian circles, of course, of signs and wonders. Many people are attracted to the sugar hit of a sign and wonder and uh, it draws a crowd. Humans desperately seeking for heaven to break into their meagre existence and charge us up for, and to give us just another reason to live. But, you know, seeing the, the choir singing at night would have been a... We don't need any more sign. We've, we've got everything we've got right here. And you compare to the sign to the, to the maid, baby in a manger and saying, no, I'll just stay with that. Can we get that on, on YouTube or something? Because that's amazing. And yet everything is reduced and reduced and reduced and gone to just a, a cattle stall. Because he pointed to someone else. The sign pointed to Christ. But it goes even deeper than that because it was a sign that had been preparing, leading up to for thousands of years. And we looked at some of those prophecies on Sunday. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. Who does that to their child? Who does that? Well, God does that. And I think many people today do not experience the joy of the discovery because they don't know what on earth they are looking for. They are searching but in the wrong places. Like the the song by you too. You know the old song, you broke the bonds and you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but sadly the line ends with, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You're right there, you know it, it's, it's there, you're singing about it. It's a hit. And then... Oh. Still haven't found what you're looking for. How is that possible? Despite the fact that all the signs pointing to the one, Jesus, the believer knows. The believer knows that joy is a byproduct of obedience. You want to experience joy? Be obedient. Do what he tells you. Most of us would tell you that he's not that hard to find. Not with these many signs around the place. Open your eyes. Open your eyes to the night sky. Open your eyes to his word. Listen to the stories of transformed lives. That will tell you. Let's look at another character, Simeon, the joy of fulfilled promise. This is from Luke chapter 2. 
A common, um, a common statement made by parents during the year is, I'll get, I'll get it for you, not now, but I'll get it for you for Christmas, okay? And come Christmas times, you know, you, the, the mum and dad might have remembered the present or maybe not, but uh, when they do remember, you know that it is, it is the fulfilment of something that has been promised. Maybe even the child might have forgotten what he asked for. But the parents can take great joy in giving something that the kid actually wanted. And in those instances where kids open the presents, there is the, the joy of the fulfilled promise. That's just what I wanted. Within the Christmas story are two elderly folk. From babies, we go to the other end of life. Their names are Simeon and Anna. And no, they were not just waiting to die, okay? I think sadly for many people this is the reality, uh, irrespective of whether you're, you're 25 or 45 or 105, people somehow just, that's it, they've had enough, they've experienced everything and just waiting to die. But it is in that context of waiting, of the fulfilment of a promise that God had told them that something was going to happen, it is in that context of this promise that they, they greeted the baby Jesus. And perhaps the strangest thing in the story of Simeon is that the first sentiment that he expresses after, after holding this newborn babe in his arms is, is a willingness, like a, like a soldier, to take leave of his life when he says, Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. This is what I've been waiting for. Can I please now be dismissed? Because this is what kept him alive. This is what kept him going. That he knew that God had told him, God had promised that you're not going to leave, you're not going to die until you see the promise fulfilled. And that kept him going. They say that a person becomes old only when his memories become more precious than his hope for the future. You sometimes get together with friends and you don't have to be old to do this. Schoolmates that you might not have seen for a while and all you can talk about is the past. And next time you see them, you go back to talking about the past. On Facebook and other places, you might see friends from 30, 40, 50 years ago and all you talk about is the past because apparently that's all you have in common, the past. There is very little talk about the hope for the future and, yeah, it's so depressing, isn't it? It's, it's like all the joy and everything is, is in the past. When the Word of God here, it's, it's about the hope, it's about the hope, it's about the future. Yes, the past is, is great. We can visit it, but don't live there. Just move on. What is the reason you wake up every morning? Is there a promise that's yet to be fulfilled that's going to keep you going? You want to see your kids serve God. You want to see your kids follow God. You want to see them get married. You want to see your grandkids. What, 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 what is the reason that's keeping you going? Don't 
waste your life by continually looking back. Look forward. That's exactly the encouraging thing from Simeon and Anna. What about for all of us? The joy of new birth for everyone, the joy of new birth. Christmas remains such an important time for our lives because it is largely about children and and most of us have been children at one time or another. Some of us enjoy being children so much that we continue to behave like children. The original scene in Bethlehem has been displayed in millions of nativity scenes since then. And whether it's it's simply the remnants of a a cultural uh, faith uh, in many of the Scandinavian countries, uh, parts that we visited earlier this year, they, they leave the Christmas lights on and the nativity scenes and others for, for about, uh, till about the 13th of January or something. They just keep it going because that's part of the tradition. Beautiful scenes all over the place in the snow and everything is just, uh, yeah, just like you imagine it in the postcard. It's like that. But you talk to the people about what you think it means and what, oh, that's just our tradition. They don't talk about Jesus. They don't talk about Christ. It's all about cultural remnant. What is it about? It's about joy of birth. Birth is meant to bring joy. This is why people enjoy visiting maternity wards a lot more than they do the oncology wards. You can see it in their faces. New birth in the form that a couple is getting married. There's a new life beginning. One of the one of the first weddings I've got to do this year, uh, this coming year, is actually uh, they had to bring it forward because Dad is dying of cancer and wants, and the daughter wants the dad to actually walk her down the aisle. The joy and the sadness, one life beginning, life together, giving the daughter away but knowing that he's only got very short time because of cancer and saying, wow. And that's life, isn't it? It's exactly what it's like. But he's, despite his condition, he's not going to let his condition take away from the joy of being part of something so special, something that he's going to leave behind and hand his, his daughter over to her husband. It has been said that the birth of a child is the nearest thing in our experience to the creation of the world in the beginning. And the child that we celebrate at Christmas was there. That's why with the birth of a child, it's a, it's a recreation. You cannot hold a baby in your hands and saying, this is not a, 
a miracle that God reminds us of a much larger miracle. Wow. From two cells. Look what happened now. And they keep growing. G.K. Chesterton once said, I think God is the only child left in the universe and all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. When you bounce a, a child on your knee or toss him in the air, he says, do it again, do it again. He'll say it a hundred times, do it again, do it again. Until child protection comes and says, you can stop tossing your baby in the air now. Because that's the way God is. He's innocent like a child in that sense, in that he makes one daisy and he keeps making another one and another one and another one and do it again and do it again. And after 50 billion trillion daisies later, he's still yelling, do it again. Why are there so many stars and galaxies in the heavens? Because he's still saying, do it again. Most of us don't live life as we should. We let it slip away. Yet Jesus came to give us the abundant, joyful life. In Matthew, he said, In the Gospel of Matthew, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So to enter, Jesus wants us to go back to that sense of innocence and joy, of surprise and wonder. Our God wants to free us from the burdens that keep us from living the joyful life. To have confidence and hope in the future that he holds our lives in his hands and wants what is best for us. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy or it's going to be painless. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. He came to give us life in all its wonderful fulfilment and life eternal in his son. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. The way to enjoy Christmas is through the gift of God's own Son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And in that note, have a wonderful Christmas. May God bless you and your families and give thanks for the gift of life in his Son. Amen.